Welcome to another episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. We are your hosts, Hayden and Evan. Hi. In the Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Pastor Evan, we continued in our Kingdom Happiness series here on this Palm Sunday. Verse by verse. Verse by verse, going through all of the Gospel of Matthew. And in our series, Kingdom Happiness, we are in chapter 5, verse 7, happy are the merciful. Would you read that text for us? Absolutely. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. All right, well, Pastor Hayden, your main point for the sermon was Christians count themselves fortunate because of God's mercy toward them and should labor diligently to display that mercy to others. Could you help kind of refresh our minds? You did a great job in the sermon, but for us as we're getting ready for life mm-hmm. groups this week, kind of refresh us, you know, why is it that it's we show mercy because God shows mercy instead of, oh, I receive God's mercy because I show mercy, even though that is partially true, we display mercy because of the mercy shown to us. Yeah, and of course that can be confusing when you, th- when you use mercy, mercy all the time. And, you know, even in this text, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. It's it's really uh, simple. And in its most simple form, it, it is impactful and potent that happy are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Uh, but what we have to do with this word is attach it to where it, it is, deserves to be attached. And that is the nature of God, his his character, which is what the text does in the the Greek, like we talked about, that that word mercy is how the Greek translation of the Old Testament uh, defines the Hebrew word hesed, which talks about God's covenant faithfulness, his love and mercy and compassion on uh, his people, and how that mercy is the same word we read in the Old Testament about God's uh, commitment and God's character of forgiveness and mercy. And so we're not just talking about some kind of plain old just mercy or just, oh, you know, I'm going to let it go. It's no, no, we're talking about something. We're talking about a characteristic of God, of who he is. And therefore, we as God's people are blessed because we can have now the capacity for the mercy that reflects the character and the nature of who God is. And so we count ourselves fortunate because of the fact that we've received that mercy from God that is tied to him and who he is, and we should labor diligently to then display the mercy of God, of who he is to other people. And so it's much more than just, oh, I'd like to have or have mercy on their soul. You know, we, we say that word in our culture. It's much more saying, no, uh, God is, is merciful and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and we as Christians who have received that now display that because we have God in us through his Spirit to then display that to other people. So it's much more of a term tied to the character of God. It's much more deep and has a much more profundity than just simply uh, be merciful and you will be receive mercy. Sounds like something we need to really fully comprehend and understand, and that leads to point number one, understand mercy, or the steadfast love of God, mm-hmm. as the central feature of the gospel. Sure. And so you kind of mentioned this in the bef- before, but you know, the Webster's Dictionary defined mercy pretty biblically. Yeah. But even though they define it, I would argue people don't define it that way through their actions. And so right. what is the cultural quote-unquote definition of mercy versus mm-hmm. God's steadfast mercy. 
Right, and I think you hit the nail on the head when we talk about the, the definition in the dictionary and even the world's dictionary, uh, definition of a mercy are actually pretty similar to the Bible's. They're, they're the same. It's the application that's different. Uh, people, Most people understand that mercy is compassion or forbearance shown to an offender or someone subject to another's power. That's Webster's uh, definition of mercy. Uh, and the biblical definition of mercy is God's willingness to give you and me what we don't deserve based on his character alone. It's like, okay, those are pretty similar. And our world uh, would agree to that, but it's how we apply it that is actually quite different. Uh, the world is going to apply mercy. Uh, if you give me mercy, I'll give you mercy. You know, it's more of a, a, a reciprocity, a reciprocation of if you give it to me, I'll give it to you, uh, which is exactly what Luke teaches us, isn't it? In Luke chapter, is it 6? Yeah, 32 and 33, right? And Jesus says, if you just love people who love you and you just do good to those who do good to you, uh, even sinners do that. So that there's quite a different uh, quality in the mercy that comes from God's people and the mercy that comes from worldly people. And so the worldly person is going to say, I'll give what I get. Like, if somebody gives it to me, I'll give it to them. But uh, the biblical definition of mercy is God's willingness to give you and me what we don't deserve based on his character alone. So it is the words that we've been using all morning. It is unqualified. Uh, and what was my other word? Unconditional. Unconditional. Unconditional and unqualified. That's not a way that people apply mercy. People apply mercy in a very conditional and qualified way. Which kind of leads to the cross-reference you put down on Matthew 18 with the parable of the unforgiving servant. You know, He was shown mercy, great, but then... He didn't show mercy. Why? Because, oh, he still owed me something. I don't need to necessarily show mercy in his worldview. When right. the master's like, no, 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 no. I showed you mercy. You need to display my mercy to everyone. Right. And if you're wondering where we are, we're there in Matthew 18, 21 through 35, where it talks about the unforgiving servant. Well, just kind of a brief, break, a brief overview. There you go. There we go. Eventually it came to me. You have a master who had a servant that owed him in an insurmountable amount. You know, and ten thousand talents, which is roughly three point four eight billion dollars, and the, he forgave it. And then that servant found a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii, which is roughly like a hundred and twenty-two dollars. Yeah, think about ten thousand talents. A talents is a year's wage, so ten thousand years of money versus a hundred days versus a hundred days of money. This is a quite a different quantitative. And so one number. was shown mercy, but he didn't really understand the mercy given that to him. he was given. And he turned around and said, well, you still owe me. So a quite less amount of money and wouldn't forgive the way lesser evil, even though he was forgiven a much greater price. So he didn't understand the mercy. Right. And then what does God say that he's going to do to that person? The same thing that the master is going to do to the person who is unforgiving. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And since you would not have mercy on your fellow servant, what does he say? He says, I'm going to deliver you over to the jailer until you've paid off all your debt. And then verse 35 says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you who do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so but, tying it back to the kind of yes. the cultural versus biblical is the cultural, they might have the right definition, but really in practice, what they want is, I want you to pay your debt. Yeah, I, I want I want what I get. I want what I deserve. Financially, right. physically, yeah. or emotionally, I want what I deserve. Kind of like the uh, wicked servant when God's saying, no, I forgave you completely. You need to forgive them. Right, and completely. something I never even said in the sermon, but, but mercy creates loss somewhere. I mean, mercy requires a loss somewhere. 
And, and, and obviously, in the gospel, it's the loss of the life of Christ. In order for mercy to happen, there has to be a loss. And so when you look at the, the parable of the unforgiving servant, uh, we're either saying the loss is going to be the servant recognizing the mercy given to him, and he's going to lose out on his hundred denarii to make sure that mercy was extended, or the loss is going to be uh, the other person having to be mistreated in order to get the hundred denarii for him to give it back to that servant uh, the fellow servant. So either way, someone's losing out on something. And that's why in our world, mercy is not expressed uh, because people don't want to be the ones who do without. They want someone else to be the one who does without. And so in our world, we recognize that that Christ did without and got the punishment that we deserved. And so mercy always requires a, a, some kind of loss. And we have to understand that. And that's why we understand mercy to be uh, unqualified unconditional, because we understand there's going to be a loss to it, and I'm going to count the loss as worthy of the mercy of God. Which leads to that God is eager to do this. He's not like this, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. No, he's like, he's eager to do that. Can you kind of refresh our minds, what you kind of taught in the sermon about the eagerness of God to show mercy to those who confess and forsake it? Yeah, I think of the steadfast love of God uh, which I actually am pulling up in Lagos right now just because I just want to show you. There are 198 verses. Lexian, let me, let me put quotations around this to give you a real good number of how many times. There are 191 verses in the Bible that talk about the steadfast love of God. Remember, in the Greek translates, in the Septuagint, the word that we use today for mercy. So the mercy that's tied to God's character. 191 times, this is how the Bible uh, characterizes and defines God. 191. That is a lot. And so it's like, how eager is God to forgive? Well, in the Bible, 191 times, it talks about this kind of uh, character, part of the God's character that says, I'm ready to forgive. It's not God's desire to condemn. It's God's desire to forgive. That's why the gospel is real, right? God doesn't want to condemn the world, but his justice demands it. And so God doesn't, what is, what, is the, what is the verse that said? God doesn't uh, rejoice at the death of the wicked. Ezekiel 33, I right. God, that's not That's not the desire of God. The God's, God's desire is all people come to the knowledge of the truth of Christ uh, because that's his, his desire. He has an eager desire to say nobody uh, could say that God, no one would say that somebody who isn't willing to give up their very own son isn't eager to forgive. I mean, the fact that you would give up your son shows the eagerness of you to make things right and to extend mercy. So Ezekiel thirty-three eleven, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? I love that right there. God was so desirous in his steadfast love to extend mercy and forgiveness to people. And I don't know how you can how you can read the Bible and define God any other way. When that illusion comes to Second Peter 3, 9, the one that we like to rephrase, the mm. Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. Like, why is God delaying his return? Because he's patient right. towards us. We're not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's his desire. He not wants willing. to show mercy. Not, not, he doesn't have a desire for people to perish. He has a desire for people to come to know him. 
Love it. So when we do come to him, we should expect mercy. Unlike the cultural mercy that's given, there's a, I'm not sure if this person's really going to forgive me and, and take the loss, but you know, guys, I know I took the lost, uh, took the loss on Christ. And so if you turn to me, expect mercy. So that leads to point number two, expect God's mercy when you respond to the gospel. Mm. Something that, um, you mentioned to to us at least in the nine a.m. and I think the eleven a.m. as well is you brought up Proverbs twenty eight that talks about in order to receive mercy you need to confess your sin and forsake sin. Mm-hmm. Why is it confess and forsake? Oh, I confess it. I admit it. I know I'm. I, I admit I'm guilty, and I kind of sit here. Why is why will I not receive the mercy of God if I just sit there and go, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think I'm right. I'm guilty. Well, well, what's the, so when we talk about confessing, let's think about the nature of confessing. Like, am I confessing it because I know I'm guilty and I need to be absolved from that? Or am I just, and that's, and that's why we have to say, why is it not just confessing? Well, confessing in what? I mean, what's the, what is the nature of your confession? Is it just to what? I mean, that's, that's a real question to answer you. What are you doing? So if we're saying, the Bible is telling you the nature of confessing. Confessing is the the admission that you're going to turn away from those things and therefore obtain mercy. And so what is your confession? I just say that I'm bad. I'm a bad man. <laughs> I do bad things, period. Then go continue to do bad things. It's like we have to qualify. What does that mean, confess? Like, Why is mercy not giving to people who just confess? Confess what? And then do what? Like, are we confessing to say, "Hey, this is wrong, and I, uh, and I abhor my actions, and I recognize I am a sinner, and that God is against me"? And or you know, we see what I'm saying. It's it's so to ask that question is like it's really a loaded question because it's like I don't I don't know. It depends on what you mean by confession. What well, I think that, is but saying, I think that's the point though. When people right. say, "Oh, I confess," you're you're not really confessing. Right. If you truly knew the gravity of your sin, mm-hmm. you're going to do something about it. Like Zacchaeus, mm-hmm. he understood the gravity of of his guilt. So what did he do? He confessed that he stole a bunch of tax money from people, and then we do he forsook it. He said, "I don't, I don't right. want this money anymore. I want it. I'm giving away, and also I'm giving more away because right. I'm forsaking my old way." That is what true confession looks like because right. it, it's paired with forsaking. Well, and that's the problem. It's not like oh, confess and forsake, or you know, or, or repent and it's repentance and faith. It's like they're the same thing, and that's the whole point here. It's like forsaking is the need to not conceal your sin to bring it before God. But why do we bring our sin before God? Because we don't want it anymore. We don't want to be enemies of God anymore. So if by confessing your sins you mean acknowledging to God that you don't want to be his enemy anymore and then following him, then I'm going to say confess. Yeah, that's a great, good, good definition because that includes the reality that I don't want this anymore. And so that's why it's like confessing and forsake, it's the same thing. If I'm going to confess something because I'm an enemy of God, I don't want to be an enemy of God anymore. I'm going to turn away from that and I'm going to obtain the mercy of God. All right, so wrapping up the kind of the sermon review for us as we get ready for life groups, point number three was to exercise mercy as a central element of Christian community. But you forgot the new mercies part. The you, want to, you want to do new mercies? Oh, I mean, I think it's nice. All right, well, circling back, we're going back to question number, uh, point number two, expect God's mercy when you respond to the gospel. You talked about um, recognizing the new mercies. And as I want, Christians. As Christians. And so if you're a non-Christian, we need to do respond to the mercy by repenting of your life and your sin and trusting in Christ. Now, if you're a Christian, you recognize the new mercies of God every day. 
And I want to kind of ask you, what is a helpful habit that maybe you have found or others have found helpful to recognize, help help you recognize you know, the new mercies of God every day? I think to preach the gospel to my heart every day. You know, and I actually sometimes quote to myself Lamentations three twenty two through twenty three. God, your mercies are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. It's like, and that's what that that's the beauty of mercy. Mercy is dependent on the nature of God. Like, how do I know God is merciful to me every day? Because He's a God of mercy, and if I'm in right relationship with Him, there's only one thing I'm going to receive from God: His mercy his compassion, his forgiveness. Is that always going to be seen as a hug? No, I'm going to be disciplined, uh, and I'm going to receive the discipline of God, but it's always the mercy of God. I mean, God God is very merciful to discipline his children so that I don't fall into more grievous sin as I move forward. But his mercies are new every day. I know that because it's tied to the character of God, and so is the gospel. And that's the reason you, as a Christian, have to preach the gospel to yourself every day. God is God extends mercy to people that when is unmerited, unconditionally, and unqualified mercy to people who recognize their sinners and turn from their sin and place their trust in Him. I need that message every day in my life, not just to become a Christian, but to live every day as a Christian. Wonderful. That's you know very helpful and kind of will help you apply number, point number three. So mm-hmm. going back to point number three, exercise mercy as a central element of Christian community. So why is it important? That's just the question's not on here, so sorry. Why is it important that we yes, we need to show mercy to those outside of the church. Right. But we're gonna get in a whole lot more conflict with people within the confines of our local expression it's of the church. Right. Well, it's possible. It's possible, but we're gonna you know, rub shoulders more right. often. Why is it necessary, vital and important that we learn and quickly show mercy to one another? inside the church. Yeah, I'd like to take a moment to struggle through with you. Like, a lot of times when we hear messages and we preach the Bible, uh, you know, you read messages like this, or, or else a lot of times, like, the messages in the, the, le- the letters to the churches in the New Testament, and it would say, clothe yourselves in compassion to one another. It's like, well, who are they talking about? When it says in Colossians 3, Christians 13, bear with one another. Who? Christians. Christians to Christians. Christians to Christians. And it's important that when we're preaching in the when we're preaching, which is the job of the pastor in the church to preach, we're preaching to the church. Why? Because the character of God is promised to be displayed in the character of the church through the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of individual believers. And so uh, we're not just saying we're not saying that you shouldn't go do these things outside the church, but we're saying these things are what the church has to look like. There, there is no, there is no question. Of, this is the, this is who the church is. The church should be characterized by mercy. The, the entire nature of our whole church has to be characterized by the centrality of the mercy of God. And so, when you look at the question that you asked, there is like, you know, why, why do we have to show mercy? What's the, what does it look like to show mercy? And, and in the church, it's like it's the same way that God has shown us mercy through his nature and character, who he is, we therefore have to show that exact same kind of mercy in our church if we say that this is a church of God. If it's a church of God, it's going to look like God's character. So then, with that in mind, you know, we might know people within the church or even our own families or friends that have really hurt us tremendously and mm-hmm. wronged me tremendously, sure. some painful, truly painful, horrific stuff. How can I work toward being merciful to someone 
who has wronged me in such in such a way. Recognize the gospel, right? I mean, I mean, and, and I and I mean this because I mean we've all been hurt. You know, I've been hurt by family. You know, uh, I've been hurt by people in the church. I've hurt people in the church. Uh, you ask the kind of questions. Well, God, how did how did you work toward forgiving people? It was unconditional and unqualified. It's who I am. It's my very nature. You and know? that's the same appeal that Paul gave to Philemon regarding his former slave Onesimus who right. ran away and stole Philemon's money. And Paul's saying, hey, don't receive him back as a slave. But as a brother. As a brother. Because he's now saved. And he appeals to like, hey, the character of God is in you, so I'm confident that you'll do this. You'll do this. And that's the same way. And I'm not saying it's not going to be hard. And I'm not saying it's going to be hard, not hard to forgive. It was hard for God to forgive because it cost him the life of his son. And so God's eager to forgive, but it wasn't easy. It was a difficult thing for the Son of God to die for the sins of humanity. Now, the real question could be, well, how, what if I'm struggling through working through that? That's Now, that's a good question, right? We sh- you, you will struggle through showing mercy because you're, you're also still a sinner, uh, and we're also still being conformed to the image of Christ, and it's gonna, we know we need to do it, uh, and sometimes it's going to be difficult. Well, that's a whole different thing, right? And this is why the importance of community. That's, yep. why we say, that's why we say be in life groups, not so that we can you know, be cool and trendy and hip. Say, no, this is where this is expressed within community for other people to help you be merciful or ask for mercy uh, from others. Right. And and that, and again, when we, when we are in the church, you say, should I not be merciful to non-believers? No, by no means. You should be merciful to non-believers. Sounds like Paul right there. Right. By no means. By no means. Keep on sinning. No, you need to be. And, and, there's a lot of ways to be merciful to non-believers, but the fact of the matter is, we're talking about the Christian community in Scripture, uh, and it doesn't exclude non-Christians to receive our mercy. But the reality is, is you as a Christian must be exercising mercy to the body of Christ. And if we will do that, then we are going to we are going to be a beacon in our community of the mercy of God. And if we won't be that, we're going to be an, an absolute stain in the community. Uh, as people who claim the name of Christ but do not exhibit any of his character or nature. Which I want to circle back to the application question direction. I want to jump to the resources. There's a helpful resource compass that you can get. Your life group leaders know about it too, called Putting Your Past in Its Place by Stephen Vyers. Putting Your Past in Its Place by Stephen Vyers. The hope in this book is in the title that you be able to address either the wrong that was committed against you and, or the wrong that you committed against someone else so that you can take the next necessary biblical steps to address it the way that God wants you to address it. So he has four kind of categories of you know people that when either we've been wronged and we responded biblically, maybe we've been wronged and responded unbiblically, mm-hmm. or we did the wrong and responded biblically, or we committed the wrong and responded unbiblically. And so that covers literally all of us in the church. And so it gives a biblical understanding of how to put that event in the past that maybe needs forgiveness granted or maybe forgiveness sought. Mm-hmm. And it helps to take those next steps. So I'd recommend the book. You can buy it on Amazon. It's a very helpful resource. Psalm 103.12, he's removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. And our goal and our expectation as Christians is we do likewise. That we forgive in the direction that we would no longer remember it. That's right. All right. Now, Pastor Hayden, we have some application questions to do this week. Is there one or two um, directions that you want to just give or guidance? Yeah. Uh, I like question 3A. It's a really devotional question for you, a devotional that leads to application. If, uh, 
It tells you to read Matthew 6, 14 through 15, but then it talks about mercy is the kingdom standard for all God's children. In his kingdom family, no one withholds mercy and forgiveness who bear the name of Christ. If there is someone in your church family that you need to forgive, make a plan this week to meet with them and exercise mercy. Uh, This is something I want to encourage you to do. If there is something that you have against somebody uh, in the church, that you would make a plan to exercise mercy this week and uh, talk with them. And remember, mercy is unqualified unconditional forgiveness not tied to anything they did or did not do but tied completely to the character and the nature of god and it would be our desire that that be your willingness this week to do that and if you need help talk to your life group talk to your life group leader or talk Talk to to pastors we would love to be there many more great questions on here but i'd love for you guys to focus in on that one and if our church would be that church that applies that truth of mercy and the centrality of mercy in Christian community, and then this is a church I just want everybody in the world to be at because it would be it would just be a work of God every single day as we're living in community with one another, and I'd be worth everyone seeing. All right. Well, church, we have several announcements. Pastor Hayden, rapid fire, what is happening at Compass Bible Church? Well, this week we have Easter weekend. What? We it's already have, here? It's already here. It is here. We have Good Friday, 4.30 and 6 p.m., we have Easter Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. These are the services and the service times we would like you to be at and invite someone to attend. And then we have our Easter celebration afterwards, rain or shine. We have a rain option and, an, and a shine option. So either way, we are going to celebrate after Easter. We're going to invite people to come with you. Don't come to church alone. Invite someone to be with you that week. And as always, if you are committed and love to walk, we would love for you to park on DTEX and to leave room up front for people who are going to be guests uh, to our church. And then the last two announcements, we have Family Matters Conference, April 15th. The cost is $10 per person. We'd love for you to sign up right now. Do not wait. And then finally, we have our baptisms. If you have yet to be baptized, immersed in baptism as a symbol of your new life in Christ, we'd love for you to sign up on April for April 23rd's baptism. But don't wait to sign up, because we would love to meet with you to talk through your baptism uh, and walk with you through that. All right, Compass, grateful for you guys, love you guys, and look forward to seeing all that God is going to do in this church.